Well, good morning, Life Community Church. Will you all stand on your feet as we worship this morning? Sing that together. Seen how 
Well, if you can all uh, just find your seats here just for a minute, this is the time in our service where we love to celebrate God at work in the families and the lives of the people of this church. And so um, we uh, have a testimony uh, this morning uh, from Katie Pannone. She's a single mom in our church and just uh, how God wrapped his loving arms around her um, and brought her into fellowship. And how many know that God sets the solitary in families? We get to belong to one another. It's We belong to one another in Christ. And so let's turn your... Uh, attention up to the screen. Here's God at work. Hi, Life Church. My name is Katie Pannone, and my two children, Odie and Santiago Pannone, have been members of this church since June of 2019. It's been very apparent now that um, God's plan for me has been in the works for a really long time. I've been a believer since the age of five, was baptized at the age of 13, and grew up in God's path um, throughout high school and college. Um, in college, I met my spouse of almost 10 years, um, and he was not a believer. And at the time, I just thought that that was my opportunity as a believer to bring someone closer to Christ. Um, so we got married knowing that he wasn't a believer. And little by little, I kind of noticed that I stepped away from the church um, and just wasn't really living the way that I knew I should be living. Um, after many years of turmoil and heartache, ironically, two weeks before I walked away from 
my marriage, I was invited by one of our members, Kayleen Abadi, to her son's dedication. And then as hard as it was to be here, um, I just knew that I had to be there for my friend. I came to church that day and kept my children with me, not in Sunday school, and just felt God working in me and felt very at home here. Um, we came back the following Sunday, um, and we have been coming to church here Sunday ever since. It was probably about our third Sunday attending that we met Pastor Brandon, and um, he approached me after church and introduced himself to me, and I don't know why, but I just felt convicted to kind of share with him what had been going on in my life. It was very comforting to talk to him, and he wanted to introduce me to his wife and just create a support system for me. I met Jenna a couple days later, and I had support from other um, single moms here at the church. And um, it was the first time that I was part of a congregation where I truly felt that the church practiced what they preach. We always hear love like Jesus, and um, but I've never seen a church move like that. I remember having a conversation with Jenna one day that I had a play structure in my garage for over a year. And because I was separated now, who knows how long it would be there because I'm not that handy as a single mom. Five days later, after a service during COVID where we were outside in 102 weather, Pastor Brandon and four other gentlemen from our church came in the clothes they attended church in and built my place structure for my children for four hours. And I just remember thinking like, wow, this is truly what it means when you hear love others as yourself. There's no amount of words that can say how thankful I am for the support I got during that time. I just remember surrendering to God in the process. And as difficult as it was, it wasn't until I surrendered that I really truly started to see God work in me and just the blessings just come out of nowhere. Um, I promise you that if you truly surrender to Christ, you will be blessed beyond anything you could ever have imagined. Well, at Life, we like to say that we're known by our love, uh, but it's really not our love that we're known by. We're known by His love. Because we only get to, we only love because He first loved us. So let's stand together and we're going to lift up the name of Jesus, our beautiful Savior, who has loved us so completely and unconditionally and sacrificially. And it's our joy to worship and to honor his presence here. Our creation suddenly articulate Yes. 
In me, and so 
Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever bring We live for you Sing Jesus Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever save Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh, we live for you Sing holy Sing holy There is no one like you There is none beside you Open up my eyes in wonder And show me who you are and Every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever save Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Those are 
that song says, you are holy forever. Lord, we come before you with open hearts and open hands this morning. Lord, we praise you with everything that we are. We celebrate the sacrifice that you made when you sent your son to die for us, Lord, and take our place so that we could be free, so that we could be whole. And we are whole because of you. We are made righteous through you, Lord. There's nothing that we do. Lord, we know we don't deserve it. We are so grateful that you paved that way for us. Thank you. It's in your name that all God's people said. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. And uh, if you'll turn your eyes to the screen, this is what's happening at Life Community Church this week.
Well, good morning, church family. Jeff Bauer, worship and groups pastor here at Life Community Church, where our mission is for people to experience new life in Christ by helping them know God, grow in relationship with God and others, and going out and making disciples. Thank you to all of you who faithfully give to support that mission here. And as a reminder, if you'd like to give, there are three ways to do so. There are boxes in the back of the sanctuary, or you can give online at our website or on the LCC app. Man, I want to give a special shout out and thank you to our worship leader today, Joey Halderman. He also led worship uh, two weeks ago while I was a middle school counselor up at Hume with our youth group. Um, but it's such a blessing to have such a humble and reverent and talented worship leader in our congregation. So just uh, let him know how much you appreciate him today. Um, and I have a few announcements for you on what's coming up at Life. So. Next week, we're gonna be doing baby dedications. That's July 23rd during our 1030 service. So parents, if you're interested in dedicating your child, there's a parent class today after second service. And make sure you come by the Connect booth to sign up for that. Um, later in the month, July 29th, that's a Saturday, we have our men's breakfast, our monthly men's breakfast at 7.30 a.m. So come and get encouraged and fellowship with other men. Pick up a men's breakfast ticket, one for yourself and hopefully one for a friend to invite. Uh, it's free um, and we support that just through donations of $5 a person at the breakfast itself. Um, looking ahead, we have a church family camp out coming up October 6th through the 9th at San Antonio Lake. And if you love camping and you want to spend some time with your church family out in God's creation, I encourage you to get on the LCC mobile app and reserve your campsite there. And we look forward to camping together. And now I'd like to invite you to continue worshiping with us through the reading of God's Word. Good morning, Life Community Church. Uh, like I said at first service, it looks like this is the people that survived yesterday. Pretty warm out at my place. I'm John McKinney. I'm uh, one of the elders here. I'm a uh, willful, struggling work in progress. Um, this week has proven that to me. This morning we're reading in Ruth 1. Uh, please join me. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she heard the fields of Moab in the fields of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. 
The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they left, lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. As we open Ruth up and start a new series, it brings about the same question that we've all had posed at a time, or maybe we've thought it, or maybe we're in that place today where, as Naomi said, the Lord's hand is against me, or why has he allowed this horrible thing? Or in plain language, why do bad things happen to good people? And it's interesting with, with the cultural context to see the weight and even in Naomi's bitterness, her continual self-preservation and, and love for her daughter-in-laws. As we see Several times in the first chapter of Ruth, Naomi acknowledges God and his power, verse 8, verse 13, verse 21, but she does not understand why he has done what he has done. And of course, it's normal for God's people to wonder at times where God is and what he is doing. And laments are understandable. Naomi is not the only person who's questioned the purpose of God. The psalmist asked similar questions. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Or why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 10.1. And Psalm 13.1, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? That emotional feeling of this 
abandonment of God turning his back on you. And Naomi culturally was married to Elimelech and in, in Bethlehem in the promised land where God had led his people during the time of Judges, there's a famine. And so Elimelech says, all right, well, Moab's got food. Let's go get burgers over there. We could raise cattle. It's going to be great. The backstory is there is sin that was unrepented of, and there is, there is discipline. That was the lack of food. And so instead of repenting and staying there and turning to the Lord, they, they ran away. And they said, hey, we could figure this out on our own. We got sons. We got a family. Let's go. And our sons can marry Moabites. And culturally... They didn't marry other nationalities because they worshipped other gods. As we see Naomi saying, hey, look, it's better for you to go back and worship your gods. Your sister-in-law already did. And Ruth is like, shh. And, and she's clinging to her and she stays. And the famous line is said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you will lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my, my God. Where you die, I will die. And it's interesting as, as we see the response of Ruth there that's represented from the first five verses where they go into Moab and her sons marry Moabite women and then her husband dies and her, son in law, her sons die and now she's left with these two women and she in this life-changing power of friendship that, that we see represented in the first five verses, then she goes to them and says, it's better for you to go. Go back to your, your family. Then you can have a house. You can have friends. I'm sure you'll meet, you know, maybe your high school buddy, or you can get married to him, and you can have family. And that's, that's, that's what will define you. That's what defines success in this culture, some of you are like, no, it's not. It's your degree. I went to school and I have a degree. And when I was in college and getting out, they, they instructed us on making resumes. And resumes were a short book. And it was like, hey, when was your first job? I'm like, when I was two, I think. Yes, you, when you were two, you fed the dog, right? Write that down. And then from then on, you had this huge, long resume of all these things and clubs you were a part of and the one time you held the door for the teacher. And you had this massive resume and you had your philosophy on life and on ministry and all this stuff. And now it's like, just get a high quality picture, have, have a couple sentences, make sure your Facebook, your Facebook's cleaned up, and, and hopefully you know somebody. Like this, such a crazy different culture we live in. And then the cultural status was not your resumes, was not your degrees, was not your accomplishments. It wasn't your 401ks. It wasn't your, is your, is your vehicle green or not? It wasn't your, how, how green is your, you know, the tech you have? It wasn't any of that. The, the only thing that mattered was if you had sons. And so that's why Naomi is so distraught because not only has she lost her husband, but she's lost her status. She's lost literally everything that mattered, her sons. It was her family. And she doesn't have adult children. She's old, so she's not really able to get married. And she's old, so she doesn't have parents to live with because they've died. And so she's literally the worst kind of widow. There's really no hope for her. And so she's saying, look, in my bitterness, as we've all been there, when tragedy or difficulty strikes, you become bitter or you become better at trusting the Lord. And we see Naomi, like most of us, at some point, it's like, all right, we'll find God. I don't know what I did or where, but you're obviously your hand's against me. 
because not only is my husband gone, now my sons are gone. This is devastating. And, and we see this emptiness and see how she talks about how empty she is. And it's a little hard to get out of our culture because every culture tells you whether you're a nobody. And it's very easy to look at other cultures and just say, well, that's crazy because obviously you have Bethlehem. And when you showed up back to Bethlehem, they, the whole town was like, wow, Naomi's here. Man, it's been great. You've been gone for so long. But for her, it, it didn't matter. Because back then, if you didn't have a husband or a child or a son, you were a nobody. So she feels like a nobody. If the culture tells you you're a nobody because you don't have this or you don't have that, then you feel that way. And so instead of feeling superior, you're, you're feeling like a nobody. And, and why are we talking about this? Because I do the same thing. What does the culture say I need to have? What is the the status that I'm chasing, and, and before we know it, if we're too focused on the place we're in, we miss the person that God's given us. And it's amazing when we look at Naomi that we'll see through the next couple weeks that God gave Naomi Ruth to remind her of him, to remind her of the purpose and the plan that he had set forth and how he's going to accomplish it. And an amazing thing is in our place, when our agenda falls apart, when we hit the detours in life, and, and unfortunately, we don't have Siri redirecting us quite quickly at times, God just lets us go on a detour. And, and everything unravels. In Naomi's case, her family line is about to die out. She lived in a time where if you didn't have a family name, then you had nothing. There was no hope, really, for her. There was very little joy left, and she looked at her daughter-in-laws and said, man, I, I care for you and for your future, and the only thing that makes sense in our culture and our time is for you to go and worship false gods and live with your family, and hopefully there's a guy you can marry, and then you can have sons and you can be somebody. But for me, I'm, not, I'm nobody. God took everything. And that's where she's at. And that's why when Ruth says, whoa, time out, don't urge me to leave. And I love the picture because it says Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpha gave her a kiss goodbye. I know, mother-in-law, it was good, it was fun. Sorry everyone died, your son, but I'm out. You're, I'm going to take your advice. I wanted to stay, but not really. And Ruth's like clinging to her. That power that transformed her of that friendship, of the intentionality, of the love and the care that that Ruth apparently never experienced with her God. She's like, why would I go worship these other gods when what I've experienced through you, God's love flowing through you to someone who doesn't worship that God? I don't know how God's changed your heart, but you're in this bitter depression funk, but you're still loving me. And I, I want that God, and I wanna be with your people, and I'm gonna do whatever I can to be with you, and if I don't, then God's gonna cause anything harm against me, but I'm going to go with you. And it's this amazing conversion where Naomi, what we have in the text is basically go worship false gods and Ruth saying, no, I want to worship the true God because of the way you love me. So it points back once again to the power of our relationships. And it doesn't point to a program or an event. It points to 10 plus years of Naomi and Ruth's relationship and seeing this. And then when it 
comes down to seeing how hard life really is, Ruth is like, no, I want that God to be my God. When she had everything taken away from her by life, everything, economic, social, physiological, she's devastated. She's about to go back to Israel, to Bethlehem. She has nowhere else to go. She's going back to live in an absolute dead-end life. Socially, she'll be marginalized. Economically, she's marginalized. That's where she's at. And at one point, you can see she does a very, very sad play on her own name. When she comes back in verse 20, she says to them as everyone stirred up, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Naomi means sweet and Mara means bitter. So she says, don't call me sweet, call me bitter. Literally, I'm, I'm taking on this identity of being bitter because God's taken everything that socially, culturally, you said I need to have to be somebody. She says, for the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. See, her name Naomi in Hebrew means sweet. She is so bitter that she wants to play on her name and say, no, the Lord did this horrible thing to me. Secondly, we see the courage of Ruth, though, when Naomi looks at her daughter-in-law and Ruth says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. The reality, though, is if they stayed in their own country, in their own culture, amongst their own race, they'll have no trouble, perhaps building another family. But when she says, don't come with me, Naomi's really thinking about the fact that if you come with me, you're going to be marginalized. You're going to be the outcast. You're going to be the one that people will mistreat. And we see this clearly in the middle of the book. We'll, we'll get to it a little bit when Boaz is introduced next week. But in the middle of the book, we, we read for, for many years as I've read this, it's always just been, yeah, Ruth, her husband dies. She gets married to Boaz. He's the redeemer. Jesus is our redeemer. End of the book. Like, it's a sweet book. Just kind of normal, everyday thing. You get married, you have kids, and then they had kids, and then Jesus was on the scene. Like, that's pretty cool. Ruth is the great-great-grandmother of Jesus, and she, and she's the great-grandmother of David. So it's pretty cool. Like, God chose Ruth and protected Ruth and Naomi. But you really see the tension when, when you understand what Boaz says. There's, there's one place where Ruth is in the fields of Boaz, which she just happened to go out of God's plan and providence. Boaz looks at her, and she's gleaning. She's picking up the leftover harvest in the fields, and he says to her, stay with my girls, my daughter, for in someone else's field you may be harmed, and I've ordered my men not to touch you. Later on in the chapter, Naomi says, good, I'm glad you're going there. I'm glad you ended up in his field. You need to stay with his servants, for in someone else's field you may be harmed. What's going on here? What's going on here is that Naomi knows if Ruth and Orpah come back, they will not be just widows. They will not just be foreigners socially ostracized. It's worse than that. There were enormous racial animosity between the Moabites and Israel. If the Moabite women would come back with Naomi, she knows, she knows what Boaz knows, that there could be violent attacks that were likely, or they could be hurt, marginalized, or even murdered because there was such animosity. And so she's actually caring 
for Ruth and Orpah by saying, go back, because that's pretty much your only way to live. If you come with me, you're going to be marginalized, verbally abused, physically abused, probably worse, even murdered, potentially. Like, this is not going to be safe for you. So culturally, humanly speaking, this is not the town you want to go live in. You should go live on that side of the, the town. But because of the relationship they had, Ruth clung to her and said, I'm going to go with you. That's why Ruth brings up death. She's not just a morbid person. She actually realizes, I might die. And if I die because I go with you, then so be it. There's a might, a very real might, a high probability that she will be assaulted verbally, physically, maybe even worse or death. So the second point we see out of the first chapter is there's this hope in Jesus, especially in hard and mundane seasons. Interestingly, when we see just as the conversation between them continues, there's signs of hope because God works under the surface. Naomi is trying to follow, trying to understand, but in a bitter, hard place. And it's interesting that when you take the book of Ruth and you put it up against Jonah, or maybe Genesis, you put, you put Ruth up against any book in the Bible, and quickly, if you know how to read, you'll see a very clear, glaring, missing piece in Ruth. There's no visions, there's no miracles, there's no just amazing, aha, visit from an angel. It's all mundane. It's there's no food, we're going to go over here because we think this is what's best, but we're not going to follow God, we're not going to check in with him. Everyone dies, woe, woe is me, I'm hungry, there's no place to live. It's all basic, I need clothes, food, and I don't have it, and I'm not going to get it because I'm an old widow, and you should just go worship false gods. Like, that's it. And, and so it's pretty mundane, which is amazing because so many of our testimonies aren't Just night and day, Holy Spirit comes in, we're addicted to cocaine, walking through the park at 3 a.m., and all of a sudden, 3.01, this guy comes up and says, Jesus, and we're cleansed from all addictive tendencies, and now we're a prolific evangelist, saving thousands. And it's like, don't go to a doctor, just come to me, I'll share Jesus with you, and you'll be healed. We don't have that kind of testimony. When you read Paul, even, he talks less about that transformation moment and more about the growth that God grew him in. And we see this is just the mundane things of life. And yet, during the normalcy of life, God is working in 10,000 different ways and planned and positioned Boaz to be in a place second in line to, to be the redeemer for the family, to buy the land, to get Ruth to be able to marry her in a culture and a time where that was how it was to redeem them. And, and God put that in place and God put her in his field. And it's interesting because there's no dreams, there's no visions, there's no words of God in her head. It's just a book about normal people. There's no dramatic answers to prayer. There's no drastic events. God is still at work and he's still there in the mundane, in the normalcies. And we see Naomi saying, God has abandoned me while Ruth is clinging to her. And there's this well-meaning Moabite girl and Naomi saying, God has taken everything from me and in verse 21, brought me back empty and there's Ruth right next to her going, really? That's all I am to you? Just nothing? Okay. Tell me how you really feel. 
Now I know why you wanted me to leave and go back to Moab, right? And so we see in our bitterness, we get wrapped up in the place we're in and having our agenda not fulfilled by the God we worship and we're, we can be bitter. And we can miss the person that's next to us. We miss the person that God gave to us. The other thing we see, some of you might be saying, I'm having a lot of trouble. And a lot of times when you say I have a lot of trouble, even, even the spiritual battle in my own mind where I have trouble, it's, it's part of the sentence, but we need to finish the sentence. What we're really saying intellectually is I'm having a lot of trouble getting hope. I'm having a lot of trouble, but we need to finish the sentence and say I'm having a lot of trouble having hope, having hope in God. Naomi was having a lot of trouble having hope because she, she was looking back and not seeing joy but bitterness, and so therefore everything she saw forward was just growing in bitterness and darkness and, and void of anything to have hope in. She's having trouble having hope. And in that moment, there's Ruth, and we see through the book why Ruth is the blessing, why then we need a Ruth. The one thing that's interesting about this is Naomi is the spiritual mother, right, of Ruth, but Ruth is at the stage of her life and has all kinds of hope, saying behind the frowning, behind the darkness, behind the hurt, there's the providence of God and there's a smiling face who's looking down upon you. So Naomi says, my God has dealt bitterly with me, my God has harmed me, my God has smited me, my, my God has devastated me. And almost the next verse, what does Ruth say? I want your God to be my God. That's the God I want because of the way that you're loving me. Because of the relational care and commitment you have for me, I want to be committed to you. Because I want to be committed to your God first. A humble servant, fully devoted to your God, I'm gonna serve you. Here's what Ruth has to be thinking. If your God can make you love me like that, I've never experienced that from all my Moabite gods that are all self-seeking, self-sacrifice. They're, they're, self, they're, they're not here to serve one another. They're, they're here to serve themselves. So Ruth is at the stage where she can give Naomi hope. Maybe sometime in the future, it'll be the, way, the other way around where Naomi, and we see as Naomi shares and just delights and sees what God does through the next couple weeks here, but nobody can hold on to that hope all the time. Sometimes you go into a stage where intellectually you know it, but you just don't have that hope. And we know Naomi knew God, but she's in that moment. Her husband died, her sons died, she's just bitter and she's dark. And God in his grace, not only fulfilling his plan to bring about the line of David and, and Jesus, but to care for Naomi through the one that would be the great-great-grandmother. It's this beautiful picture of the mundane, the hurt, the sorrow, and yet the comfort and how God is always near. We see continuing with the return with bitterness, verse 19 through 22. When Naomi comes back, she's saying, I'm empty. She walks back into Bethlehem with Ruth, the incredible treasure God has put into her life. While she's bitter, she's in the place of bitterness because her agenda is not being fulfilled. Rather than looking at the person God has given to her, and how God might work through her. We see that as, as this plays out and, and Boaz steps in, Ruth is putting forth and pointing to Jesus as the one who's there to comfort. And then Boaz comes in and, says, and points to Jesus as the redeemer. And so we see through both Naomi and Ruth and their interaction. And as Boaz comes onto the scene next week, 
and continues to point to, yeah, life is hard. Life has difficulties. You don't always have food. You don't always have shelter. And your friends, your family, they die. So how are you going to deal in this suffering? Who are you turning to to explain this? How do you have hope in suffering? I'm having trouble having hope, but hope is not void of suffering. Hope really comes out and comes through suffering as we walk with Jesus, knowing that he's the one that gives us what we need. Naomi's looking to the culture to, to, to verify her status with her husband and with her sons. Once her husband and sons are gone, she's like, it's over. Why am I even here? I don't even know what the point is. God's angry or something. I don't know. But he's, and she just goes into this rage because she's trying to get what she's supposed to get from God, from her husband and her sons in the culture. And we do the same thing. Because we try and have hope and suffering from people rather than seeing what God's doing with the people he's given us because we look at the place we're in and it's not our agenda. So the moral of the story, as we look back with joy, how do we have hope and suffering? The first is to look back with joy. The moral of the story is, is the world standards are stupid. The world standards say you're, no, you're nobody unless you have sons. Well, Later on, we see in, in chapter 4, in the end, it says, verse 14, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and took care of him. So Naomi gets to see Ruth get married to Boaz and then the Redeemer is born who, can, who will start the line that will, as we see as it ends, bring about David that brings about Jesus. So we see Obed, Father Jesse, Jesse, Father David, and then you jump to Matthew and pick up the lineage all the way to Jesus. But in her bitterness, looking at the culture to provide her identity, and looking at the world standards, we see that God always operates opposite. God says, I work through the second son, not the oldest. I work through the unattractive woman, not the attractive woman. Through the poor, not the rich. How many times does God have to show us, here's how I work, and it's opposite of what the culture, opposite of what the world is saying you need to have. Because he knows our humanistic desire is to do this, to get this, and if we don't have that, then we feel like we're nothing. Instead of going to God and saying, okay, God, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, you, I know you'll provide, I trust that you'll be with me. So if you believe you're saved by works, by your performance, then you could look at somebody else who didn't have your beliefs, and you'd say, well, I'm a better man or a better woman than they, but if you're saved by sheer grace, getting what you don't deserve which is what the gospel says, not through what you've done, but by what he has done by sheer grace, then you look at any other person, you realize they're just as likely to be a better person than you. And the gospel is what brings humility and destroys pride. And that should be the death of prejudice and should be the death of pride. Over and over and over again, scripture's telling us that. We see here, do you want to be like Ruth with the transforming power of friendship, seeing the signs of hope, even in the hardest of times, in the most mundane parts of life? 
and being humble and saying, I'm going to go with you, and I know there's a good chance I'll be mocked verbally, physically. I might even be horribly abused and then killed, but I'm going with you. That's, that's the commitment. That's the humble servant fully devoted to following God, which means to care for her mother-in-law. And we see, some of you might be saying, well, that's hard. Do you really think that this is the end of the story? This is where we're going to close in prayer. You just need to be more like Ruth. Just be more moral. Just be a better person. Try harder. You're not trying hard enough. There's hurts in our lives. There's pains. And as I thought about Naomi and Ruth, it was, it, it was clear. God was like, hey, remember how you, you and Jenna were hurt? Remember how you didn't really know what the next step was? And, and in our, our journey to get to life, we were, we were confused. And, and Jenna was a lot of times the Ruth that was like, hey, we're just going to follow God. We're just going to trust God and we're going to pray about it. And I got a phone call as we were in that season, just kind of thought we were going to be somewhere long-term, and we weren't. And so this, this phone call comes in, and they say, hey, we're from Catalyst. There's this conference, and normally it's all like lights and smoke and fun and youth ministry. Uh, you guys haven't been in a long time. You used to take groups here. Can you come in three weeks? And I'm like, that sounds fun, but emotionally, like, we're kind of hurt, so I don't... But it, We'll, we'll be there. So I'm like, okay, hey, we'll, we'll figure it out because they said, if you come, we'll pay for everything. It's free. I'm like, hey, you said free? I'm there. Whatever it is, I'm all about it. God planned it. So we, we made arrangements with our kids. We go down, and this conference was usually about what's up and coming in the church, but the new director took it a different direction and said, hey, this year we're all about looking in and looking at the hurts that you've occurred in ministry and looking at how whether it's family or people in ministry have hurt you. And, and for us, it was just the realization that we weren't going to be in a, in a ministry context we thought we were going to be in. And in our own healing journeys, it was really helpful for Jenna to be there and for me to be there and reveal the hurts that we had personally and in our marriage and, and just trusting God with what was next. And on the drive back from that experience that God had planned, Jenna looked at me and said, hey, let's call Pastor Keith and let's figure out what the next step is. Because I don't know when or how, but I think that's where God's calling us. And, and time and time again, Jenna would come to me and say, okay, we're here. We need the VBS program. We need women's ministry. And, and she would step up and say, okay, I'm going to be joining with women and figure out this women's board and I'm going to help women's ministry. And I'll take from January to June and I'll do VBS and, and we'll figure this out. And so looking at her obedience to say, we don't really know what it is. And for her to look to me and go, you've never been a senior pastor. You've never been a lead pastor. Do you even know what you're doing? No, but I know God does. And he's called me to do this. So I think the elders trust me enough to pray for me. And, and God's called us to do this. And, and it's been amazing to see Jenna's obedience to follow the Lord and her trust and to help me and to help the church and to look at Jenna and say, okay, let's all be more like Ruth. Let's all be more like Jenna. It's amazing to see the reality is they're pointing to Jesus and what God's done in Ruth and what God's done in Jenna and what God's done in many of you who said, I'm obedient to the Lord. I'm just going to follow him and I'm going to serve him. And I know it's going to cost me. I don't know exactly what, but there's a chance it's going to cost me. But I'm not going to worry about the place I'm in anymore. I'm going to focus on the person and who's around me. And I'm so grateful that God's given me, first and foremost, his son, 
but then a helper in Jenna to say, okay, I'm gonna serve the Lord and serve you and serve the church. And it's been amazing to see you guys say, okay, let's, let's serve the Lord and let's focus not on the place and how we thought we were gonna be here, but let's look at the person and who God's given us. Because over and over through Revelation, it shows us not this fanciful text to make movies and sell books off of, but to really encourage us that we need to look forward with hope. Jesus is coming back again. And it's all about the fact that the end times are known. The main point of the whole book is that the faithful endurance and obedience to the end will result in eternal blessing and reward for the ultimate result of glorifying God in Christ. Ruth was like, I'm, it's gonna cost me, but I wanna go know about your God. I wanna be with your people. And we see in Revelation 21, seven, those who are written in the Lamb's book of life win with him. We're called to be victorious in Christ. We're called to be more than conquerors eternally, knowing in this present time, we will have trials, we will have tribulations, but we're gonna endure them. And we see that we're supposed to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation and constant in prayer, as Paul says in Romans 12. And so as we look to the end here, of chapter one, they went back when it was barley season, setting up the introduction of Boaz. The place you're in today, maybe it's bitter, maybe it's hard, maybe it's difficult, maybe your agenda, maybe your marriage or your business or your finances or your friends, it's not working out how you thought. But don't be so bitter in that place you forget to look at the person that God's given you. First Jesus, and then maybe a Ruth who's there to encourage you, who's there to remind you, hey, let's look to the Lord, let's trust him, and to see how walking in the obedience to God will always bring the blessing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to see once again how you've been working. You've always been working. You've always been chasing us down with your mercy and your goodness and your plan correcting when you need, always with grace, showering us with mercy and grace and blessing as we walk obediently with you, Lord. We know what it's like to disobey and to be disciplined and to be brought back in your loving arms. Lord, we pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on you. We know at times we are like Naomi and, and just get in the bitterness of wondering why our agenda and our plan isn't working the way we want. That we get off track and we, we get distracted and our eyes are not fixed on you as much as they are on the problems or the agenda that's not coming through. But we pray you, you'd fix our eyes on you again and see the person of Jesus who came to pay the price for our sin, to remove it, remove the shame and the pain and replace it with your plan and your purpose. And our identity as sons and daughters as we're adopted into your family. We pray for those who need to have that relationship with you, that they would trust you and be forgiven of all their sin and let us know that we might walk with them. For the believers here, that we would see just the simple faith of Ruth and say, okay, who's my Ruth that's here to encourage me? And how she points to Jesus and, and being that encourager and that that promise is Jesus made, I'll never leave you or forsake you, even to the end of the age. I'm gonna be with you. Lord, we know that that's true because you came and 
proved your love to us. May your love flow through us to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. We have the communion elements that are being passed right now. I'll give you a few minutes for, for those believers to spend some time with your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, and see how the Holy Spirit might reveal in your heart maybe who your Ruth is that you could give credit and encourage to for encouraging you. And think about how Jesus might be leading you to, to be what Naomi was and, and to have that relationship to love someone and lead them to Jesus. And then I'll come up and close this. For Ruth, there was a chance that she might be mistreated, spoken harshly against. There was a chance she'd be abused. There was a chance she'd be murdered. For Jesus, it was a sure thing. He came born in Bethlehem. He came to die. He knew that was a for sure thing. That was his purpose, was to lay his life down for the ransom of many. For all who believe and call on his name will be saved. And so as believers, we're here today to say, okay, that's what love is, to lay my life down and to serve. And, and Naomi was doing the same for Ruth. And that's what drew Ruth to Jesus. That's what drew her. And so as we are reminded of what Jesus drew his disciples and he drew you and me as he held the bread up, a mundane thing for any Jewish person who was coming to Passover, sacrifice the lambs, do the stuff, it's all religious, make God happy, go back to your normal day life. Jesus was working in that moment, saying, no, I am the bread of life. And as we take this in remembrance of Jesus, his body that was laid down in our place, it wasn't a chance, it was a for sure thing. And he took the cup and he said, this is the cup 
of the new covenant. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. As he lived a perfect life, he was that perfect and only sacrifice. As he hung on the cross and his blood was shed for you and me, we take in remembrance of Jesus. The promise that God's wrath was poured out on his son and not us, that we might have God's love, not his wrath, that we could have his love flow through us to those around us, that we'd be known by his love. his throne he took on our form and our nature on the altar of the world and God's only son the ransom of love in a manger let a wild chorus rise Savior is Jesus glorified forever and ever he has made a way where there was a none high and lifted up Jesus Christ he is Lord of all was a stone the builders disowned and rejected on the altar of the cross Christ was a lamb broken for sin our atonement so let a wild chorus arise our Savior, Jesus glorified forever and ever. He is 
sing on the altar of our lives. On the altar of our lives, we lay it all. We take up our cross for His glory. On the altar of our praise, and Christ stands alone, ever enthroned, holy. Share his goodness. 